Hello, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space, our live Friday show. I'm your co-host, Carter Laren. No, you can't have a hat as cool as mine. And I'm joined, uh, as always, by Carrie Smith. Hey, Carrie. Hi, Carter. I love your hat. <laughs> pretty, pretty rad. That's that's. It's pretty cool, actually. Who made that for you? So this hat is courtesy of Tax Tara, who's in chat. Chat, thank you, Tax Tara. But also, I'm going to read some things she wrote to me. The hat design, by the way, suck it, Tim Pool. No one has a hat this cool. Uh, <laughs> the hat design is the blocked I'm, hat. I'm sure he's, I'm what? Sure he's quivering with him. Yeah, but I'm sure he he's is so with afraid of me in this hat that of I don't, your... he probably, he's probably shaking in his boots right in, now. Okay. Envy, not here. Okay. Yeah, he's, 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 he's very upset. That he doesn't have one. Uh, the hat design is the blocked hat, which was designed by Liz Clothier, who uh, is a member of the Unsafe Space community. Thank you, Liz. The design is inspired by the many women who have been blocked in the knitting wars. Welcome, many women. Uh, the yarn is green, as it is the racist color in the knitting wars, as we know, especially on socks, but probably also on hats. The yarn was hand-dyed by Liz Clements, who is also a member of the Unsafe Space community. And obviously, Tax Terra made it so thank you tax tara and the rest of the unsafe knitters who are here That's awesome. so uh i'm being told in chat that you're blowing out meaning <laughs> your sound <laughs> yeah I, I tried to turn it down but i may have failed oh you know why there we go that's probably better i was wondering why it wasn't turned down i mistakenly cranked up the mixer the other day that's probably much that's probably much better and if it's not much better, someone tell me. <clears throat> Pull okay. the back part of the hat down over your ears. It'll look more cool. All right. Hold on. Like that? Yeah. Yeah, that, they're right. That's how you should wear it. Okay. That's how you should wear that one. What a nice, Done. beautiful gift. I love it. <laughs> I feel like if I put on my COVID mask, I'm ready to rob a bank. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of your COVID mask, I noticed you changed your sign. Well, first of all, well, for anyone our, who's new, we, yeah, we didn't even do our intro. Yeah, 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 so welcome to Unsafe Space. This is a live show that we do Mondays and Fridays where we interact with chat, super chat, and uh, go over stuff that happened during the week. And you can visit our website at unsafespace.com. We also have a subscribe star if you want to support us financially. I'm just mesmerized by the hat. I'm looking at it. We have a book club. And coming up, we're reading this book. This is the book we're currently reading, Human Diversity by Charles Murray. You can find out more on our book club page. We alternate, usually alternate, between nonfiction and fiction. So the book we'll be reading after this is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And guess what? I found at a thrift store. Oh, nice. So you don't have to get me. Oh, cool. All right. Um, and it, book club's not this Sunday, but it's the following Sunday for Human Diversity, right? And if you haven't started, yes. it's a... Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a dense read. Oh yeah, it's dense. So it's you don't pick it up on Saturday and get and are ready on Sunday for the book club. It's you need time, so work on it if you want to if you want to participate. <clears throat> um. Okay, what else? Oh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you want to support us financially, you can go to unsafespace.com/slash/donate. You can use fiat currency, which you know will soon be worth nothing anyway. Uh, or you can use Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. And if you can't support us financially, you could like, share, subscribe. That's always helpful. Thank you. 
any other any other top of the someone said I'm a dork in chat. Yeah, of course I'm I'm like <laughs> you have no idea how massively nerdy I actually am. <laughs> I mean, maybe you do. Maybe it's obvious to everyone. And but <clears throat> uh yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna talk about your sign. What's your sign about Tiger Riders? Because my dog is named Tiger. Is that oh. what that's about? Yeah, I'm not talking about riding your dog. Um Okay. That's weird. Also, your dog's too small for anyone to successfully ride. I think they would crush poor tiger. Yeah. Um, so there's a Chinese proverb, which is, uh, I had to look it up to make sure I got it correct. Although it's a translation, so I guess I could have just paraphrased and it wouldn't matter. Which is, he who rides a tiger is afraid to dismount. <laughs> and the idea is you start down a path on something and that thing is actually quite powerful and you're kind of stuck on it after that, right? Like you're on the tiger and <laughs> you better you better stay on the tiger because getting off the tiger could be deadly. Um, and the reason that I'm thinking about that actually relates to our cover art, which is a picture of Joe Rogan. By the way, I chose Joe Rogan hoping that the guy who was mad that we had Edward Snowden on or whatever it was, <laughs> what, what was the image that someone was mad that we didn't have the person? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I was like, they'll be really mad. I'm gonna choose Joe Rogan. And that person can think that Joe Rogan's on our show today, even though we, you know, didn't advertise that at all. Uh, but I do want to talk about Joe Rogan because there's a so you know that he signed this like at least tens of millions, maybe it was hundred million dollar deal with Spotify for licensing his show, right? And he's going to move to Spotify. Well, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I've heard Spotify's that Spotify having some has trouble had with this. meetings. Yeah, so they've had. This is what I heard, and then you share the news that you found. I read last night that they've had 10 staff meetings at least because the SJWs who work for Spotify are upset yes. that he's being hosted there and and they're calling his guests transphobic even though they can't point to anything transphobic or any factual errors in – he had Abigail Shriver on who right. – um, if you guys remember, we got to do an interview with Buck Angel who recommended her book to us. Um, which which may be on a book club of ours sometime. This is the book, Irreversible Damage. It will be. Irreversible Damage. So he had her on as a guest. Yep. They can't point to any factual errors with her book. They can't point to anything transphobic and explain why it's transphobic. Um, but they're just mad. And they're doing what babies do, babies who have high, uh, jobs that pay them quite a lot. And they're, and they're complaining to the upper management at Spotify that they don't want Joe Rogan to be hosted there. And I, I read uh, – well, well, show me the news article you found because I wanted to read something to you about well, this. It's funny you want to talk about this because I read this too. Yeah, I do, and it's related yeah. to my sign. So um, <clears throat> here's just like some – here's where kind of rumors were starting on, on 4chan, and then there was a Vice article. I think it was Vice. Um, <clears throat> but uh, apparently it's the New York office, so they handle the media – and the Stockholm office handles the tech. So it's the New York office that's revolting, and they want to go on strike now. Half the office apparently wants to go on strike. Um, <laughs> how, about, how about quitting? Yeah, go ahead, quit. Um, and then and then the article, yeah, this is the Vice article about <clears throat> the CEO. This is what you're talking about, having internal meetings. Some of the questions were leaked. Um, now, by the way, I don't know if you know this. They've already removed some episodes of Joe Rogan from Spotify, the ones with Alec Jones and Gavin McGinnis. Um, and they are complaining 
by the way, management says, this is so nice. It's like almost sweetly naive of management. The fact that we aren't changing our position doesn't mean we aren't listening. It just means we're, we made a different judgment call. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Good job. I don't know who advised you that, that that's going to work against the mob, but nice. Um, Fire him. Fire them, somebody says in chat. Fire them. Right. These people think that their jobs, that they're irreplaceable. They're not. You're you're a glorified paper pusher. Right. You're not doing anything that I mean, I'm I'm not discounting that there's hard work to be done at Spotify. I just happen to know a lot of people who work in entertainment. I know some who work at Spotify. I'm not I'm not calling out this person. I'm just saying a lot of people in these jobs get paid a lot of money to do nothing. There's like 10%. What's that what's that stat we've heard before about how at any company nine 10% of the people do 90% of the work? Uh, the it's, people well, who it's are the, complaining yeah, are the it, people who are not doing 90% right. of the work. They have time to complain and organize meetings and write letters about their feelings. They're not contributing anything to your company. Get rid of them and bring in a hard worker. It's the Pareto distribution. It's and it, just to be technical yeah. technically correct. It's the square root of the number of people produces half of the labor on average in every organization. So okay. if you have 100 people, 10 of them are doing half of the work. Um, and and actually, that holds true then for the next segment. So if you take the remaining 50, uh, the square root of 50 of those people are doing half of that work, right? Um, so it's um, – but yes, we've seen the bloat. And, and the bloat at a lot of these companies uh, – we've talked about this before. It comes through HR departments and whatever. But So so let's go back to the, ISR, uh, uh, the Vice article really quickly though. So um, so he's – they have banned some episodes already. So they've, they've removed Alex Jones and Gavin McGinnis episodes. They're complaining about – this is how it works by the way. They're complaining about his episode with Stefan Molyneux. And they – if you'll notice, every little thing, like every time some crazy social justice platform makes a decision, they use the previous crazy decision to justify why that decision's correct. So the SPLC says, oh, he amplified scientific racism. Now, by the way, one of the reasons that they claim he amplified scientific racism is he had Charles Murray on his show a few years ago. Uh, oh, by the way, we're going to release a Charles Murray interview possibly next week. We had Charles Murray on, on our show, so I guess we'll be accused of this. That then turned into now he's uh, – the FP, SPLC says Molyneux is a racist. Um, and then – so YouTube banned Molyneux, but now Vice is saying, well, Rogan should – like Spotify should ban the Rogan episode with Molyneux because YouTube banned him and SPLC banned him. Therefore – so it's just – um, this is, it's like yeah, academic yeah. papers that cite, that cite their friends over and over again. Yeah. And suddenly there's a body of work that people cite and it looks legitimate, but underneath there's not a lot of legitimacy. And the so, SPLC is full of crap. We've talked about this before. The SPLC, if they ever had any, any legitimacy, and I don't know enough about their history to know if they did. I used to think they did. I'll put it that way. I used to think they had legitimacy. We've seen in the past at least five years they are full of crap. They're a propaganda outlet. And what they do is they inc they incite and stoke hatred against individuals. They put people on these hate lists, like a target list. And then yeah. and then you get SJWs who refer to them and say, see, look what the SPLC said. Yeah, of course. They're just your propaganda arm. Right. I don't why would right. you trust anything that they say? Right. Um can I read something real quick from this one article? Uh, about the Joe Rogan businessinsider.com yeah 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 sure this is this is something the the whiny employees have sent in 
So, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Vice said that its sources shared questions that had been submitted for the Q&A portion of one of these meetings at Spotify, these employee meetings. The questions, which shortened the name of the podcast to JRE, suggests that friction is building between Spotify's leadership and its staff over the podcast. Well, yeah, again, leadership. Hey, leadership, be a leader. Fire these people who are not adding anything to your your productivity. Okay, quote, here's one of the whiny employees, quote, why has Spotify chosen to ignore Spectrum ERG's guidance about transphobic content in the JRE catalog, end quote? Again, they don't say what's transphobic, they don't make an argument. Um, and then, th but this is the best one. Many LGBTQAI plus ally Spotifiers feel unwelcome and alienated because of leadership's response in JRE conversations. What's your message to these employees? Hey, my message is, I don't care about your feelings. How about that? This is such an entitled millennial social justice way of thinking. I don't feel welcome. I feel alienated. Hey, maybe something's wrong with you. Like maybe it's you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so yeah, I mean, so that's, that's the basic deal with that's going on. Uh, I think, I think you probably captured the quotes that are in this article from employees. Um, if you want to read about oh, it, I did. well, yeah, we'll put the, I think the, the, by the way, every other article I've seen references this vice article. I think vice is the one that got the, the details from the employees, but, um, you know, they yell at him for miss, they, this is weird. He's mischaracterized the reason for Kylie Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner's transition saying it was because she was around her daughters, Kylie Jenner and Kendall Jenner, that he describes as crazy bitches. Now that sounds like he was making a joke, but of course, Vice has it to make was it a sound joke. like he said it was he's mischaracterizing it. <laughs> okay. Right. So anyway, it was a joke. And yeah, he's, if, if case they forgot, he's a comedian. Right, and the funny thing about social justice warriors is they are the first to claim that something is a joke. OK, so they're allowed to make comp to say awful things and say it's just comedy. But of course, we know they're hypocrites and they they purposefully ignore when something is said in jest, even when it's said by a comedian, they ignore that and they pretend like this is a serious factual claim. No, it's a joke. Uh, right. I saw, you know, when Joe Biden said that if you don't vote for him, you're not black. Right. I saw Wanda Sykes defend that on Twitter and say, that's just a joke. He's just joking. Right. Okay, so that, that, you're supposed to take that as a joke, even though he's a presidential candidate. He's not a comedian. Um, I'm going to extend you good faith and an olive branch and say, okay, Joe, uh, Joe Biden tried to make a joke by saying, you're not black if you if you don't vote for him. Um, but then when it comes to your fellow comedian making a joke, you guys are like, no, uh, it must be a, a factual claim. Yep. Yep. But the interesting thing is here. Um, so I here's look, I think Joe Rogan should actually intentionally now start interviewing people that are wrong thinkers. Um, because, I mean, the worst th the yes. worst thing that can happen to him is he keeps the money <laughs> and doesn't have to be on Spotify, I don't know. Um, but according to Joe Rogan's announcement, he says, Spotify, they want me to just continue doing the way I'm doing it right now. And he added, it's just a licensing deal. So Spotify won't have any creative control over the show. Which is great. Um, Which is great. So, 
Yeah. So and and he is interviewing wrong thinkers. He just did. So he did one with Edward Snowden, um, and he, he just released one with Douglas Murray from Madness of Crowds. Good. And I listened to clips of that one. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but it's excellent. The, what I heard was excellent. Yeah. Right. So I I think he should continue to do it. Um, okay. So now I can go full circle to my sign, which is, <laughs> I think a lot of companies are uh, think that they can ride the woke wave and make some money and get some cool points in the market and all will be good and they're stoking this fire and what will happen is they will end up with a company full of employees who don't want to do their work unless they bow to the woke mob they will lose control over their own companies and by the way yeah i know that you can say like oh just fire them they don't do any work I'm not sure that's possible. A lot of people actually do do work and they're, they have these views. They get riled up by the rabble rousers who don't do work. So there's engineers or other people who are doing work and they just, they've bought into this ideology because the HR department has been pushing it forever. Yeah. Fire all the HR people. Sure. No, but I think you, I, I Red Bull showed us you can fire these people. And even if they're engineers, find engineer, set a precedent. If you're wasting company time with 10 meetings about your feelings. Sure. Look, I, it's, find I'm other not engineers. saying you can't fire them. I'm saying yeah. it's not trivially easy to, if it's 50% of the employees in New York, that's mm -hmm. not a trivial thing to fire. You don't have to fire all 50 Start with the loudest troublemakers, the ones who are the least productive and make sure. an example. and hope that it goes because, down. Absolutely. Yeah, because Absolutely. there are people, like you said, who get pulled into it, who start virtue signaling because this becomes the accepted yes. predominant religion at work. This becomes the culture at work. They're supposed to virtue signal and speak social justice. If you start taking out the high priests and priestesses in your company who are dragging everybody down and wasting your company time with this crap, then those who are just followers will stop preaching it because you will have changed the culture. Yeah, you will I, have changed the. You will have said this is not the religion of our company. <laughs> but I, he is. He he it, he. They are woke though. I mean, they've been ever since the George Floyd thing. They're one of the companies. It actually surprised me they did this deal with Joe Rogan because they're one of the companies that's been virtue signaling to me since George Floyd. When I opened them up, did you want to see our Black Lives Matter playlist? No, I did not. Right, but again, this is not the I strongly suspect that the people who make the higher level decisions like signing a multi-million, multi-tens of million dollar deal with Joe Rogan, which probably needs to be signed by the CEO or at least they're involved. Like it's a big deal, right? That's not a some VP level person doesn't make that decision. Um so I, I highly suspect that at that level, um, they're just kind of like going along with whatever the marketing department says we should be doing. And if the marketing department is like, oh, yeah, we need to be uh, BLM, uh, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. OK, uh, sure. I don't care. When they say we need to spend $100 million on a podcast guest <laughs> or a podcaster, they, they say, that, oh, OK, then the CEO is involved. And what this means to me is likely that the CEO is a pragmatist. Also, just look at his responses. Like, he's talking to these people as if they are here to have a reasonable conversation. So, like, that that indicates to me he's clearly naive. Um, 
And my guess is just a pragmatist who thinks that he can have it both ways, that he can ignore the cultural cancer that's that's being foisted at the company, that's taking over the company, and still make decisions that he believes are in best economic interest. Obviously, they think it's worth it to have Joe Rogan on Spotify exclusively. Like, you don't pay that kind of money if you don't think you're going to make a hell of a lot more from it. So you got to imagine, if they're paying $100 million for Joe Rogan, they think they're going to make two, three, four, five hundred million dollars off of this easily, if not more. So that's a big, that's a big deal. You don't make that deal if you don't think that's a good economic deal for yourself. So um, to me, I look at this and say, oh, this is, this is an example of a pragmatist who sat at the top of a company, maybe a few pragmatists, who rode the tiger, who were like, oh, is this where sentiment is going culturally? Sure. Let's stoke the fire. Let's let's say the things. Let's virtue signal. Do whatever we need to do. I don't care. Whatever. We're just here making our money. We need to say X, Y, and Z to get people excited about us. Fine. We'll say X, Y, and Z. Ideas don't matter. Uh, we're just going to do our thing. And here they are. And look, yeah, I think you should. Obviously, I agree with you. You should fire the, the people. But eventually, you may find yourself in a position where the corporate culture is so dysfunctional because you've allowed this cancer to metastasize so much that can you can you right the ship? Yeah. Will it be painful? You bet. It could get very painful. And maybe you won't even be able to right the ship um, eventually. Like you could have a board of directors who comes in and says, you're proposing on doing what? You want to fire all these people? You, you're like, or even halfway through your program, the board of directors just votes that they have no confidence in you and like you're gone. So, because they're usually more cowardly than CEOs. So they're just going to bow to them. They're more likely to bow to the mob. They're a committee. So, I, you know, to me, this is just an example of like, this is why pragmatism doesn't, it isn't actually pragmatic in the long run. It's pragmatism is like a short sighted way to look at things and, you think that you can ride this tiger and make your money and get your money from virtue signaling and uh, and kowtowing to the mob, but the mob will turn on you. You'll get stuck, and you'll you'll end up having to ride it all the way to wherever the tiger wants to go, um, and that's going to be likely not in line with your uh, bottom line, success as a company, personal goals, basically anything that you want. Um, so that's all. Someone asked why I'm wearing an, uh, a, a hat. I explained it earlier it's a gift. So um, it's a gift from Terra and many people in the knitting community if you're joining late. So <laughs> anyway, that's your answer, Carrie. That's my, what that's answer? my sign. Any, any other comments on the oh, Joe Rogan you. thing? Yeah. So somebody in chat is mentioning Procter & Gamble. I forget if chat's going pretty fast, but somebody said uh, something about how Procter and Gamble has basically said that they're going intersectional, they're going social justice. And that's not mm. surprising. We did a, a video called woke ads. I think we did it a year or two ago where we started looking at, I, I started noticing probably four or five years ago that the Super Bowl ads were getting pretty woke. And I, I this is, it, it was interesting to me because it's like, well, my ideology for so many years when I pushed it, my old ideology was not mainstream. And then suddenly corporations started speaking it. And that was my first indication that this is going big 
that this is becoming a mainstream thing because corporations are speaking it. And Procter and Gamble is one of the worst offenders. They do some of the most most woke ads that have nothing to do with the product that are simply virtue signaling where they never even mention what they're selling you. Um, they're selling you on the brand. And one of the grossest things I've ever seen being on the left is leftists who get googly eyed about corporations because they're virtue signaling. I mean, I, the left was always, you know, against corporate power. The left was always, you know, it, for the longest time I felt, you know, part, one of the reasons I was on the left was that I, maybe I misunderstood this, but it seemed to me that it was about, uh, protecting the individual, um, pushing back against corp corporations, corporate control. And now if the, if a corporation does a, an ad virtue signaling to you, you're, all on board with them. You're, they pull your emotional heartstrings. I saw this post going around this, this week. It said, uh, man, hats off to Procter and Gamble for this bold commercial. Well, why, why is that this new though? They own Gillette. You know that, right? Yeah, they own Gillette. It's not new and they've been oh. doing it since before they've been. So one of the Super Bowl ads we criticized was not Gillette. It's just that they've gone like full whole hog and they deeper. continue to do these. <laughs> Yeah, they go even deeper and there's nothing in like at the end of this new article um, or this new this new advertisement. They have a link where you can go to PG.com. Talk about bias. Yeah, because because we I want my corporations to be talking to me about moral issues again. Like what, what and, and leftists love this leftists who previously were, that's all it takes for you to get on board with corporate power is for them to do an ad where they're like, this is what it's like being in a black person's skin. Oh, I love you, Procter and Gamble. I'll buy your dish I, detergent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll buy your razors. Your, um, yeah. Anyway, I guess that, that's related just again, because of Spotify going woke, all these companies going woke. And if you look around you, I, I still see the repercussions. Uh, we're still in this this phase of social justice having be, having become dominant in the in corporations in our culture at large, and yes, there's starting to be pushback. Trump is pushing back, finally calling out some of this stuff by name, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But um, you know, there is pushback. There are people who've been who've been talking about the dangers of this belief system for years, who are starting to be heard, who are whose voices are starting to reach others. And then uh, those people are starting to speak as well. And I think the pushback and the resistance to this is growing, but I'm still turning on Spotify or I'm still turning on YouTube or Amazon and being lectured in virtue signal too. You turn on the TV and, and Procter Gamble is doing a, ra a racial justice advertisement that has nothing to do with their products. Well, and I don't think that's, <laughs> and they want to say, I mean. and they want to say that they're fighting, that they are somehow the resistance when they, when all the major corporations are virtue signaling for them. Right. Well, I mean, look, corporations are always, large corporations are always viewed as the the status quo. So if there's an opportunity for them to look edgy in a cool way, they're going to seize it. Um, and this is a way for them to look edgy. Like, we're resi hashtag resistance. We're a trillion dollar company. Yeah. Hashtag resistance. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> uh -uh. Hashtag fight capitalism. <laughs>
You know what resistance looks like? It actually looks like the inside. It's the battle inside of Spotify. Like Spotify is having an own an internal struggle, clearly, um, with people who truly believe the ideology and people who were just paying lip service because they wanted to ride it, and but they really want to make money, um, and they'll have Joe Rogan on. Uh, but yeah, let's do let's do some super chats because we're gonna get okay. We're gonna behind. be very behind. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Mandy, thank you, Mandy. Mandy says, oh, it's Woody and Buzz hosting today to infinity and beyond, Mandy. <laughs> uh, okay, Battle Gnome 23. My son had a hat like that when he was like 10 minutes old. No tie, though. Well, so your son just wasn't as fashionable. What can I say? I'm sorry. Uh, Tax Terra. <laughs> Tax Terra. My husband never wanted me to knit him a hat. Until he saw yours, now I am knitting him a fuck off and find out hat. <laughs> See? Yes. Guys will wear those hats. Uh, all right. Let's see. Oops. Another one from Legalize Adulthood. Thank you, Legalize Adulthood. Keep going. I'm not yet ready to burn down my Facebook friend list by sharing your videos. Soon. Soon you should. It's actually not a, it's a culling. So what will happen when you share our videos is you'll find out who your friends are. So uh, you'll, that's you'll all. also make new you'll also make new friends. I mean that happened to me. And no, you don't have to be ready at all. Thank you for the super chat. But when you are ready, you it like Carter says, you will call people and then you are going to find new people who appreciate what you're saying. And you'll even be surprised at some of the people that you thought would unfriend you who stick around because they like that. People are drawn, authentic people are drawn to authenticity, even if they don't like what the person is saying. And so the social justice people who have not unfriended me, some of them, I think there's something there that's, that's authentic. And that also makes them the type of maybe SJW that I was the type that can be reached or that at least still has part of their mind turned on. So it's an interesting thing to go through to call your friends and to meet new ones and to find out who's real. But I encourage it. Uh, TM Stani 23, thank you, says, Carter, fold the hat evenly all the way around and pull the back down over your ears. Sorry, I'm a beating guy. I think I did that. <laughs> I saw that super chat earlier before we put it on screen. I think I've accomplished, but, you know, thank you for your advice. I'm not a beanie guy, so I don't know. Uh, unless it's cold out, in which case, absolutely. Uh, all right. We, another one. Tomsky999 says, the bottom line in leadership is this. Are those people adding value to your company or detract value? Start from there and then make decisions. Absolutely. In fact, um, often, this is especially true for smaller companies because they can do this. They don't have um, the apparatus of an entire HR system that's already functioning and has got procedures, although some large companies can, can do this well. Um, but the a general rule for a lot of small companies is you find people that are good and then you find roles for them later. <laughs> You're like, oh, this person is just awesome. They are smart. They are proactive. They're like, they're, they, they fit the corporate culture. They fit the culture that we're trying to build. They're um, super productive. Everyone likes working with them. 
What are they going to do? I don't know, but we're going to hire them and try and figure out. I mean, that's not completely, you don't do that completely. You don't hire someone with zero skills that could potentially be anything, but um, the person's much harder to find than the skill set generally. Uh, Mathis, thank you, Mathis, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correct. Trekley, Carter, you get prices law wrong. No, I was saying Pareto distribution, not prices law. Um, but spirit of the company provides 50% of value, not the work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Did I say work? Yeah, I meant the value. That, that is, that is, thank that you. is prices That's law. That's Pareto? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that was prices, a misspeak. Thank you. Law. You can't fire the other 90% because that 10% needs the less valuable work to be done by them to focus. Yeah, the, it's the value. You're right. It's not the work. I thank you for correcting that. Um, it's actually, we. It, it is backwards. I just looked it up because I was confused. Price's Law is the one you were talking about. No, uh, I was talking Pareto, about the Pareto distribution. No, the Pareto distribution is the 80-20 rule. Look up prices law and look up the Pareto distribution. All right, I'll look up. I'm going to look up the Pareto distribution because I thought it was the. Because the eighty twenty distribution. Law was, what was Pareto the, principle is the eighty. Yeah, the eighty. It's 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 um it's called the eighty twenty rule, but it's based on the square root law, right? The eighty twenty rule is a is a sloppy way to say it, but I thought it was the same mathematically. And now I'm looking at this math, going, I see logarithms. So I'm not going to do this in my head in front of everyone on the audience. But yeah, here. Uh, wait, no. Estimation of parameters, logarithmic like logarithmic likelihood. I'll look it up later. But um, okay. regardless, Price's law, fine. Um, Pareto. I know Pareto is. I know people shorten Pareto to eighty twenty, but eighty twenty is not a mathematically accurate representation of Pareto. I thought. What I said was, but maybe that's wrong too. So I could be wrong. You get the point anyway. All right, Marie Busky. Thank you, Marie. Marie says, for the for being the best knitting podcast ever. Thank you, Marie. Joy. Joy Hafford says, Chris Rock rips Pelosi and Dems. You let the pandemic come in during impeachment. I saw that. Did you see that, Carrie? No, I didn't. Yeah, That's Chris funny. Rock was like, hey, Pelosi and the Dems, you piddled, you guys are busy blaming Trump. He didn't say exactly these words, but paraphrasing. You guys are busy blaming Trump for mismanagement of the pandemic. You were screwing around with impeachment during this whole thing. You you dropped the ball on the pandemic because uh, you were too focused on impeachment. So I don't know when Chris Rock, Rock will get wow. canceled, but I'm sure that will be soon. He might be uncancelable. <laughs> Good for though. him. He's a, he's Good a for tough him. one. Yeah. Uh, Tabitha. Thank you, Tabitha. She says, yes, back to the knitting podcast. Uh, why bother? Why bother gives us a super chat and says, I own my Facebook environment. I am the one who decides who is worth befriending. Apply this everywhere and your nervous system will thank you. <laughs> it's a great, great philosophy. Why I bother? Like that. Totally agree with you. All right. I think we got, I think we got through the super chats. And uh, and maybe I'll have to go learn about prices law and Pareto because I maybe got them backwards or wrong. But thank you for that. All right, Carrie. I know there's yeah. other stuff you want to talk about, but I could do anything right now. So, what do you want? Um, what's on your list? Well, uh, you mentioned. I think you mentioned Trump pushing back on some stuff. Uh, yes. 
so Trump gave a speech for Constitution Day, which I didn't know was a thing. Was it always a thing or is it a new thing? I don't know. I think it's always a thing. I just didn't realize it. And this speech was, again, like his Mount Rushmore speech, he is getting more clued in and he's getting more focused and specific about the enemy that we are fighting. And I am a reluctant Trump supporter now, I guess you could say. And because he's the only person, the only person running who is calling this stuff out, who is specifically, who's aware of the actual, it's like, it's like, a, a Scott Adams talks about the two movies that are playing and all of these woke people and NPCs are focused on this, like this, I, it's not reality. They're easily distracted by whatever propaganda the media puts out and tells them to pay attention to. And meanwhile, there's this real cultural war happening where all of the values that have formed this country and that made this country great, individualism, equality, all of these values are being eroded and they're being eaten up by this belief system that we were told, hey, it'll never leave the colleges. Remember, when it'll never leave the colleges, guys. Now it's, it's certainly left the colleges. It's everywhere now. You've got the Smith- Smithsonian Museum putting out critical race theory and social justice ideology talking points saying that uh, being on time is a function of whiteness, that the nuclear family is a function of whiteness, that meritocracy and hard work and individualism are all functions of whiteness. This is coming from the Smithsonian Museum. It's everywhere. And so uh, Trump in this speech, and I'd like to, if you want to read a little part of it, but uh, he he calls it head on. He uses critical race theory by name. He calls out Marxism by name. So I was standing up and cheering in my seat while I was driving. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've I've got some mixed mixed feelings about this. Although I like what you're saying about it. Like you're you're completely hundred hundred percent on board with what you're saying. Um, but here's here's just an article about his speech. So. During his speech, so I guess Thursday was Constitution Day. I don't know if that's always a thing, but I guess. Um, and here's the headline in CBS News about the speech, and the headline is a you know good one, captures what happened. Trump blasts 1619 Project on role of black Americans and proposes his own 1776 commission. Um, and this, this, is, uh, this is him talking about... Uh, Talking can about- I read, instead of you reading that part, can I read one just quick paragraph from it that I think from the speech? Sure, sure if you want to. For anybody who didn't, didn't hear, this is any, and it, there was more than this, but this was one that, that I thought would just really hit it. He says, critical race theory is being forced into our children's schools. Mm-hmm. It is. It's being imposed into workplace trainings. It is. And it's being deployed to rip apart friends, neighbors, and families. It is. A perfect example of critical race theory was recently published by the Smithsonian Institution. This document alleged that concepts such as hard work, rational thinking, the nuclear family, and a belief in God were not values that unite all Americans, but were instead aspects of whiteness. This is offensive and outrageous to Americans of every ethnicity, and it is especially harmful to children of minority backgrounds who should be uplifted, not disparaged. 
He also referenced Martin Luther King in this speech, which I thought was very appropriate because this ideology is opposed to the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, and he called it child abuse, which I like. He said, teaching this horrible doctrine to our children is a form of child abuse in the truest sense of those words. So uh, in this respect, uh, I think, Carrie, you and I are in agreement. In this respect, uh, I like what he said about it. And um, this gets to part of the conversation that hasn't been released yet, but that we had yesterday, Carrie, about like someone calling this stuff out. And I think someone calling this stuff out, especially someone in a leadership position, willing to speak this um, empowers a lot of ordinary Americans who don't know what to think about this or are afraid to say what they think about this. It empowers people to push back in their own lives. They see this and they say, yeah, that, that this is racist. That's what this is. Um, so I think there's a lot of cultural value to having a leader who will stay explicitly that critical race theory and uh, is is uh, is racist, and that um, this is a Marxist movement and all that stuff. I think that's super important. What I what I don't like is that I know what he, you don't like. I think yeah, he signed an executive order. I'm going to read here. Mr. Trump signed an executive order, quote, establishing a national commission to promote patriotic education, saying it would be called the 1776 Commission. Now look. Uh, I like the phrase 1776 Commission. It's a great response to the 1619 Project. And if a private organization wanted to start the 1776 Project and push it in, you know, argue that it should be in schools, I think I would be all for it. But um, I can't put my disagreement with this any better than Michael Bolden from the Tenth Amendment Center did. So I'm just going to read what he said. Today is the day that the largest government in the history of the world unconstitutionally mandates that schools unconstitutionally funded by the unconstitutional Federal Department of Education must teach their kids about the constitutional limits on federal power. Um, and this this is where I depart with a lot of conservatives, I think, who um, are all about big government so long as it's a conservative big government. I don't want... Yeah. I don't want the the federal government funding any company because by the way, if the president has the power to mandate the seventy seventy six commission be taught as in in publicly funded schools, what happens when President Alexandria Ocasio Cortez decides to mandate something? You, you just have yes. to be able to think beyond the immediacy of the moment. Just just try and look a little bit past tomorrow and think about what happens when someone else holds the reins of that power um, because it always happens. And frankly, uh, the hypocrisy of the federal government teaching <laughs> limits to constitutional power is uh, so distasteful to me that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how Here's you get around that in schools at all. James Lindsay had a good take on this, which I share, I share, I share his opinion on it, which mm -hmm. is that I don't need the government to mandate quote, patriotic, patriotic history lessons. Right. I would be happy just with truthful history lessons. But if, right. if I have to choose between patriotic ones and anti-American racist, sexist, Marxist ones, I guess I'll choose, I'll take the patriotic ones. But 
you're right. I don't need the government. You know, I shouldn't have to choose. It should just be truthful, truthful history. Just give us accurate history. The, I do have a question for you, Carter. This is a conversation I mentioned to you um, Wednesday that I wanted to have with you at some point. I'll just have it now. Okay, great. <laughs> um, uh, so the social justice ideology, as we know, has infiltrated public schools. It's been there for a while. Yeah. And it's it's continuing to infiltrate ones in small uh, communities, in southern communities, in red communities, red mm-hmm. states and, and small towns. And people who think it can't hit their small town or their private Catholic school or whatever, wherever it is they think their kids are protected – Yep. You you should be on the lookout for it because it's everywhere. It's 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 going to reach you eventually. And in my small town, they just put out a video, the independent school district, that they my smallest town, that they're starting to push equity. And they had this whole awful video on equity and implicit bias. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're pushing this in the whole school district. And I was thinking about trying to do something locally and offering a group for parents or for people in my community who wanted to organize and push back against this because the the social justice warriors have been organizing for decades. Trust me, I was a part of it for decades. They have groups, they have organizations, they have places like the Southern Poverty Law Center that put out propaganda for them. They are organized. They go to the city council meetings. They give templates of letters. Here's what to send to city council to get this forced down our throats. Here's what to send to the school board to get this forced down our throats. What are we doing to fight back against this? And so I was thinking about doing a group for, for specifically for people who want to push back against this in the schools in my local community. But my question is this. I don't think philosophically I can have a group that's just against something that's just opposed to this ideology. I think that people are motivated and are more hopeful when they have something they're fighting for, not just against. I completely agree with that, by the way. I don't, so I don't know what kind of patriotic, but I don't know what kind of curriculum, what kind of, uh, of organizations to support in this area. And if there are parents, if there are people, maybe, you know, if there, if there are things that, that parents should be supporting and said, like when they go to the school board and they say the 1619 project is a lie, it is racist. It is a racist reimagining of our history. It's an ideological reimagining of our history. I put it that way. It's a Marxist reimagining of our history, Mm -hmm. identity, politics, based Marxism. What do they then say? I want. Here's what we should be teaching instead. Right. Well, this is part of the issue like, be, because because the left because the left has owned academic institutions for so long. I mean, probably there's no one alive to have experience who's ever experienced a time in America when the left didn't completely own. Uh, academic institutions, uh, intellectually, um, there is not, there's not, there's not a, there's not apparatus for, for doing this, for creating curriculum that people can tap into and use public or private schools. There's not apparatus for creating curriculum that is, uh, I'll just say honest and rational. (laughs) There's only apparatus for creating curriculum that pushes an agenda. Um, in fact, but this is it's going to sound unrelated, but not. I, so my daughter is homeschooled. Not she was homeschooling. Long story. 
we're doing a test with the private school. So I lost the battle. She's doing a private school thing right now, but she's home anyway because of COVID. So she's on Zoom. So I can like walk by and see what's being taught, right? Her science class, yesterday for science class. Now, by the way, she's in sixth grade. Uh, she and I have gone over like middle school. I, I, I use the ACS curriculum or in homeschool, the uh, American Chemical Society curriculum. We've gone over like actual science. So here's where they're starting her in sixth grade. They washed the Lorax in science class. Why? Um, okay. So, so that we could understand the, the evils, I guess, of like hunting trees to extinction. I don't know. So they watched the Lorax. And today I heard her teacher, I just oh, it happened over here, um, doing something that I, I realize is very prevalent and is very subtle and probably no one notices, but it's probably part of every piece of curriculum that's free out there because your teachers are lazy because they've got teachers work long hours, actually, when they're not taking off during the summer. So, like, they don't have a lot of extra time to, to vote to, like, here's how I'm going to here's how I'm going to teach this thing. They, they like curriculum that's handed to them. Right. Um, so there is curriculum out there that people just get. And what she was doing was anthropomorphizing Earth. The earth wants balance. The earth wants this. The earth wants that. They want, the ecosystems want blah, blah, blah. And that's a very subtle thing. And you can say, well, um, want is a great way to metaphorically think about it, blah, 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 blah. But it sets up this entire framework of an anthropomorphic mother nature that is then used to garner sympathy and have a non-objective perspective on how humans should interact with nature for the purposes of human flourishing. And, you know, you can anthropomorphize, but not in a science class. In a science class, it's not appropriate to anthropomorphize nature. In your English class, when you're writing poetry, mother nature can exist as much as you want. And she can have whatever attributes you want. She can be trans. I don't care what you decide mother nature is in English class writing <laughs> poetry. But in science class, there is no, there should be no mother nature. There is, this is what the earth is composed of. This is how physics works. This is how chemistry works. There should not be propaganda. And she's already laying the groundwork for climate change and environmentalist propaganda by anthropomorphizing earth. I heard her talk about the ecosystems and the way she was talking about ecosystems was, you could hear it being set up like, oh, we're not supposed to disturb it. So, um, this kind of stuff is everywhere. And I think if the, if the people that want to save this country, um, had, if we get enough of us together, one of the main resources that we, if I wasn't doing unsafe space, I'll tell you right now, the other thing I would be doing curriculum from elementary school. In fact, I, I seriously considered starting, um, my own elementary school. I'm glad I didn't because COVID would have hit and I would have like gone out of business before I could even start. So, um, <laughs> but like that's what we need curriculum for especially elementary school kids is is curriculum that is rational and that is not ideologically based that but we don't have it we don't that's have what, it yeah and so that's the question i'm asking i saw the chat's going pretty fast but as it was scrolling i saw somebody correctly telling me that you know what we have to be pushing is individualism absolutely i'm a yes individualism is is the antidote to collectivism of all kinds all kinds of collectivism racism sexism we need to be teaching an accurate history of these united states the good the bad the ugly 
but we don't we don't need to be indoctrinating people as critical race theory is indoctrinating children to hate this country and to view everything through the lens of racist social justice Marxism. And yeah. but they but but what they have, my question, I guess, for that person who was saying teach teach um, individualism is what curriculum when you get down to the nitty gritty of what are they suggesting? What are they the social justice warriors are organized. The New York right. Times is pushing this 1619 project curriculum in schools. What curriculum do teachers and parents who are on the side of truth prefer? Right. And there, there I want to know what it's called. Like, I, I want to know Paul what to recommend. Some, and like, yeah. th there is some out there, but it's it's um mostly behind paywalls. And I don't see a lot of like organized big stuff like that. Um, but and, and I do recognize, I, I agree with the teacher. So actually also, I just edited this other video we haven't released with Bradley, uh, Carrie. And one thing oh, that yeah. he said, which I really loved, uh, sorry, we're having a little bit of an inside discussion in front of you guys, but uh, but he said something that I really loved, which was all, all education is indoctrination to some extent. Like you're setting, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but you're setting a framework by which people understand the world, no matter what you teach. And you have to start with a framework of some kind. And I think that's true. You can't teach, you can't teach with zero values. You can't be like, well, math could be true or not true. I'm just going to teach it to you. Like there's a, there, there needs to be a, a structure. There needs to be at least a skeleton of some assumptions. And I would argue those assumptions can be things like objective reality. Uh, reason is a epistemological tool. Like you start with some very basic structures. Um, maybe the uh, purpose of philosophy being uh, teaching you how to live on earth, like very basic things. And, and you work from there. But uh, I think, I think right now we didn't, we never had to think in those terms because those were kind of implicit assumptions that we shared throughout history. So when we taught history, we just, we just taught history. We didn't have to think about what the structure the framework was, um, and that framework, someone else did think about the, what the framework was, and they came in with with Marxism, usurped the framework, and now we're kind of left going, well, what do we teach? And the answer is, we probably go back to teaching something very similar to what we've been teaching. There may be some differences, but uh, but we do so within an explicit framework, and we identify the framework errors that are made in the 1619 Project is a great example, right? You have to identify what are the, there's many aspects to the founding of America. What makes America unique? What's different about it? What's similar to other nations prior to America? And what's different about America? What are the unique qualities of America? What's the es essence of America? Like what made America, America? It's not slavery, right? So you throw slavery out as yeah. the essence of America because that's clearly not what it is. Um, but, that that did not make the country unique is what you're saying. That's been everywhere, right. right? Throughout history, what what made the country unique are the things that they are currently denigrating, which is a belief individual. in individual liberty, equality under the law. Literally, no one else a has belief a freedom in, of speech enshrined in a constitution. Literally today, 2020, zero other country on the planet has the freedom of speech enshrined in their constitution. Zero. No one, not the UK, yeah. not your other favorite European country you want to go to. No one has the freedom of speech enshrined in their constitution. No one. And to look at America and say, oh, uh, well, that individual rights stuff, uh, that's not really, um, that's not special about America. Uh, 
it's obviously slavery, the thing that everyone did for all of humanity. That that's what's special about America. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I I'm all I'm all about starting a, a curriculum project that it's a lot of work, but it's the right work that needs to be done. And if you're an early like an early education person, that's the project to start working on. Um, yeah. And I actually want to do I've been thinking about doing philosophy for elementary and like junior high kids because you can do some very basic you don't get into like deep philosophy but you can do some very basic like thinking skills that can be taught really early that maybe can and you know inoculate people from uh falling prey to some of this crap when they see it later but okay that was sorry that was a lot of stuff i actually while are you going to pull up super chats because yes we should i'm going to pull up this Okay, let's do that. But I've got to pull up this book to tell you about. All right, you pull up a book while I'm finding Super Chats. All right. First one is from Vin. Thank you, Vin. Vin says, the pushback against social justice coming from the liberals like yourselves is much more effective than from us right-wingers. Keep it up. I'm not a liberal, but Carrie is. But I'm not a right-winger either. But I agree with you, Vin. It is more effective when it's coming from the left because uh, people can relate when someone's like, I'm also a liberal there's an immediate question of like, oh, we share values somehow, and yet you're pushing back on this. How does that happen? I think that's that's perfect. Um, Joy, thank you, Joy. Uh, th this is the oh, this is ahead. the book, real quick. It's called. So I got to meet up with one of our viewers when I was mm -hmm. in Montana, and she is using this book to homeschool. It's called Introductory Logic: The Fundamentals of Thinking Well. Hmm, okay. She had good things to say about it. And I thought you might like it, Carter, because on the back, guess what it says on the back, the logo for the book. What? Think dangerously. Oh, nice. Which is our tagline, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's our tagline. Uh, I should look at it. I should look at it. Um, yeah, I have been looking for, someone asked about logic books, and I have a couple, but um, I actually don't like, I have, I've got a couple that were aimed at kids that I looked through, and I didn't like them um, because they were like, we're going to teach you logical fallacies. But then the examples they used were actually misapplication of logical fallacies. <laughs> it was like, all right. Uh, uh, by, by the way, um, the logical fallacy that no one wants you to know about um, because possibly because it was identified late. It was identified by Ayn Rand and people hate Ayn Rand. And maybe someone identified it earlier and she just repeated it. I don't know. But, uh, but they want you to hate it because <laughs> – uh, it's everywhere and it undermines everything and you can act like you're being logical and do this with people don't know about it. It's the stolen concept fallacy. It's the fallacy of using a concept that relies on a precedent concept that like you can undermining one thing by using a concept, like assuming the truth of a concept to disprove that very concept. <laughs> like, so you can, you can do that kind of thing over and over and people don't notice because they don't notice that concepts are hierarchical and that one relies on another. So you can use a concept to dis quote disprove or argue against a concept on which the concept you're using relies. Um, and it's a very, very sneaky, dangerous, dangerous trick that's used all the time. And uh, we'd all be better critical thinkers if we saw that when it, when it happened. Okay, Joy, thank you, Joy. Joy gives us uh, five bucks and says, did you hear Trump is starting a 1776 history project to replace the anti-American programs in education? There's hope, yes, we talked about that. But you probably told us that before we talked about it. Thank you. <laughs> Tomsky999. Uh, my company has an inclusion week coming up. Uh-oh. Most, so, so an exclusion week. Most sessions look fine. Then the last one mentions anti-racism. Sigh. Guess I'm going to have fun in that session. You should come prepared 
and volunteer and and be involved in that session like we've talked about in the past and uh just bring it and be like hey i want to be i want to be against racism we all want to be against racism right everyone and like and and jump in with uh with the right arguments and actually scott adams talks about this too uh, i know he talks about the two movies he also talks about the person who gets to set the narrative first usually wins. Mm. So um, if you're at a company where you suspect this thing is coming down the pipe, if you are in a position in which you can insert yourself and be the one to present it, you can set the narrative. And it will be very hard to overturn your narrative after you've been... Like, if you're yeah. the one who presents anti-racism, you win, probably. Um, and, and when you present it, Present it for what we know it is and we've always known it is. Don't present this new redefinition that the social justice warriors are trying to do. There's nothing convoluted about anti-racism. They use anti-racism to as a word for their racism. They're trying to make you okay with the idea of judging and treating people differently on the basis of race. And they're calling it anti-racism. So you set the tone. You go in and say... Obviously, we're all against judging and treating people differently on the basis of race. Like, they're going to have a problem with that from the get-go, though, because they're not against that. Because well, they are you, racist. If you can go in, like, let's say you're at a company and, this, and the upper management knows the need to address this, and you volunteer to be the one to do it. Um, you can actually, like, I could go give a lecture about critical race theory. Um, that would be factually correct. This is what critical race theory believes. These here's some cite. These here's some quotations. This is blah 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 blah. But I could give it in a context in which you walk away from that class going, critical race theory is completely racist, right? Like yeah. now I've kind of I've kind of inoculated many people who are going to hear they're going to hear it again when they hire Robin D'Angelo to come in and fix whatever I just did, and she's going to mouth all of her stuff, and people are going to go. Yeah. Oh, I know what she's saying. In fact, I've already learned all this, and it is racist. Like I already have a context. I've already got the narrative set yeah. in my head. Um, yeah. All right, Andrew Joiner. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew says, uh, "Hi guys, nothing to say, but I have some money anyway." Thank you. Thank, thank you, Andrew. You very Appreciate much. it. Helps us. Uh, helps us keep going. Um, C. Jones. Thank you, C. Jones. I think if Carter continues with the hat, that hat, we may start balancing the compliments of super chats for Carrie hat equity. <laughs> Happy Friday, much love. Yeah, I, you know, I was just envious of the compliments on her hats, so that's the main reason. Uh, are we up to channel Julio yet? No, we are at B. Okay. Allen. B. Allen okay. says, "Thank you, B. Allen." By the way, B. Allen says, "May I suggest non-antifa colored merch?" Now, okay, B. Allen, I get it. What's in? And actually, we could have other colors merch, but. I will not let Antifa take black and red away from me. I like black and red. And, oh. <laughs> and I was like, what's Antifa? Speaking of merch, okay. these have started to go out. People have started to get their, their grenade mugs. If you don't have a grenade mug, I should have put the handle on the other side so I can hold it with my right hand and show the logo. I got to hold it with my left hand and show the logo. But this is great. I guess it's Antifa if looking. A, if you guys want a mug... That Carter's now shipping them out. I've seen some photos from people. Thank you so much for supporting us. People are, are saying thank you to us for the mugs. I'm like, no, thank you. If, if, if you support at the $25 level a month or above, you get a mug. Yes. So. And uh, 
And I appreciate your patience. I mean, you guys, some of you people waited probably a year. <laughs> the mugs were a pipe dream at one point. We're going to do a mug. Uh, and then uh, it finally is happening. So uh, I would love to get mugs out of my living room. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. I come, want a mug. Go get your mug. Don't you? Oh, you don't have one? Actually, uh, yeah, I need to ship you a bunch of stuff. So remind me after the okay. show. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Tatiana Fisk. Thank you, Tatiana. She says, just tuned in. Hi. Is today hat day? Love to everyone. Happy Friday. Sure. It's national hat day. If only we had an executive order that would make it official. George. Thank you, George. George says, a man walks down the street wearing a hat like that. People know he ain't afraid of anything. Ah, I love the (laughs) reference, George. Thank you. I am 100% on board with that reference. And by the way, uh, Knitters, I will totally wear a Jane hat if a Jane hat happens to happens to arrive at my house. Um, Meigs, Meigs two ninety four says this is the strangest Tim Pool podcast I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> hey Meigs, thank you. Um, Kent new for Chuck. Kent says uh, thank you, Kent. By the way, Kent says SJWs don't understand common humanity. Uh, no, I, yeah, don't. I don't think they want to understand no. common humanity i think um, what he's referring to is the is about when we mentioned martin luther king jr and how martin mm-hmm. luther king jr was an individualist and he appealed to common humanity that's how he helped to he helped to move society past racism by appealing to what we have in common and using inclusive language actually inclusive language like we and us Mm. And social justice warriors are collectivists. They're not individuals. They're opposed to the philosophy of Martin Luther King. And they they actually they don't use inclusive language like we and us. Everything they do is about polarization and tribalism. It's all about dividing us into little groups. It's all us and them, us and them. Yep. Uncle Bubba. Uncle Bubba. Thank you, Uncle Bubba. Bubba gives us 20 bucks and says Constitution and Citizenship Day became an official U.S. holiday in 2004. I didn't know. Huh. I didn't know when that happened. Thank you. Um, so right about shortly after the Patriot Act, they decided to have a constitution. See how the government works? See how it That's works, hilarious. guys? Hey, we're going to celebrate yeah. your freedom because uh, we just took it away. <laughs> we took some away, yeah. so we're going to celebrate it so that you feel like you have some. Let's, th- let's have some fireworks. All right. We're now up to Julio's. Would you like to read it? Okay. I'll read some. So Channel Julio, thank you, sir. He says, tenfold hat moment. I wonder if the glut of PhDs in the humanities over the past 20 years was deliberate. Hungry PhDs make better proselytizers than indoctrinated undergraduates. Hmm. Uh, Thank you. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but you're absolutely right that there are a lot of uh, people in the humanities (laughs) who've been indoctrinated for decades. And I'm not sure that it's... Yeah, I don't want to say it's deliberate. Yeah, but. it's not deliberate, but there's do- but there are definitely people who all these all these academics who've been pushing this for so long. What do they end up doing? Well, they a lot of them end up teaching and indoctrinating others. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't have to be deliberate, and it's like um yeah. Again, uh, yesterday we spoke with. Uh, can we mention? I guess because it's going to come out. Yeah. Oh, can, you guys, we got to talk to Brett Weinstein. Yeah. Yesterday we had a conversation with Brett Weinstein and I like how he described this because we've talked about conspiracies before and how you sound kind of weird if you're like, uh, well, the, the, you know, they intend to do blah, 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 or that the ideology does X, Y, and Z, and this is how it's played out. It sounds like a conspiracy. 
And um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a conspiracy. It can just kind of naturally play out that way. And the way he described it was basically just evolution, which is a great analogy. It evolves. It figures out what it like evolutionarily. The ideology kind of figures out what works and what doesn't, and moves in that direction. I think that's what's happened, probably with the PhDs. Um, Tomsky nine nine nine. You want to do this one? Carrie? I got it. It's, it's yeah. I'll just do. I'll do some for now. Uh, Tomsky 99, why do people in the U.S. listen to all these law centers? It's not really something we have in the U.K. I don't know. But thank you for the super chat. Because um, they're saying what they want I'm, to hear. <laughs> yeah. Tatiana Fisk. Hi, Tatiana. She says, I've been saying for our most, I've been saying our most important fight is really with the school system. Carter, I plan on pulling my little guy from school. I may need advice. Happy Good for to, you. Happy to chat with you about that, Tatiana. Um I, I got to say, I the homeschool that we did was great. I think um, we probably could have done a better job at homeschooling, but even so, just looking at... She's going to like a... It's a, it's a good private... It's supposed to be a very good, good private school. It's not like daycare center. And still, I'm looking at it going, eh, eh, <laughs> like... There's some indoctrination happening, and there's some. Yeah, it's not. I'm not impressed so far. We'll see. Uh, uh, Matthias to Rick, he says, "We in the Netherlands have freedom of speech in our constitution. We call it translated quote the freedom of expression of opinion." Oh, I did I was, not. Know. I was under the impression that no one had it in their constitution. Um, so I'm. I apologize if I was wrong about that. I did not realize that. I was pretty sure that no one else had it. Um, I guess freedom of expression and opinion sounds a lot like freedom of speech to me, so I would count that as a yes. Um, so I stand uh, corrected. No one, certainly, no one had it at the time. Uh, I don't know when that. When did that happen? That would be interesting to know. I'll look it up later. Daniel Keene says, "Teaching children." Thank you, Daniel. Says, "Teaching children personal excellence and letting them enjoy their accomplishments gives them self-esteem and confidence." Yes, it does, and that's the opposite of what we're doing now. Henry, thank you, Henry. Henry says AOC equals a real life Danny Targaryen. I can't remember how to say her name from Game of Thrones. I recently rewatched the series, and I now see it as an allegory for our time, our soon-to-be future. Henry, yes, I remember the finale or the the final few, the final season of Game of Thrones. There were a lot of people in the social justice world who were who did not enjoy who did not enjoy it, and I'm sure there are people who outside of social justice who didn't like it. But I really liked where the storyline went with Daenerys, with Danny, with Daenerys, because at the end, what does she do? She, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the end yet, <laughs> in order to save everyone, right? In order to be this uh, benevolent dictator, she burns an entire city down. She decides what's right. And there's that conversation that that Jon Snow is having with her about who gets to decide. And she says, we do. We get to decide what's right for everyone else, what's good for everyone else. She takes on this megalomaniac personality. And to me, I felt, wow, this is so representative of what the social justice people are like. They're benevolent tyrants. They're doing this for your own good. And they don't care if they have to kill a bunch of people. I think some of them want to kill a bunch of people. Some of them That's want to me. kill a bunch of people. Dom. Hey, Dom, I remember you. 
He says, we have to be careful of Catholic schools, too. My Catholic school was introducing early forms of critical race theory pre-2010, and we were all oblivious to it at the time. Yeah, and I've got a friend who was just telling me about her kid who's in a private Catholic school who's who's got a professor who is all on board with this this racist indoctrination. So yeah, no, and and uh, look at I'm not a Catholic, obviously, but just look at the look at what the Pope, um, you know, look what the Pope has been like for the past I don't know decade or so. The Pope's been pretty overtly on the left and, and pretty socialist and arguing against capitalism. And, like, the Catholic Church is not a friend of uh, <laughs> any kind of individualism, limited government kind of society. And just for a history lesson, uh, the term social justice was coined by Luigi Tarapelli, who was a Catholic theologian. Catholic theologian term, uh, coined the term social justice. Now, uh he didn't, it didn't have the exact same meaning that it does today. I'm not trying to blame him for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, since she, she was mentioned earlier. I'm not trying to blame him for that. But um, the minute that you try to take a term like justice and apply an adjective to it to alter the meaning in some way, you threaten the thing that you're doing in the first place. You threaten justice. And he did. Even his original definition threatened the original definition of justice. It was a, it was a collectivist concept from the very beginning, and it came from the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church is not a safe haven to run for, to for individualism. Right. Um, thank you. This is a new person, I think. Sebastian Sarvas. I can't remember. I've seen you before. Thank you very much for the super chat says an anti SJW friend told me that the SJW flawed argument of words causing damage or I don't know that word stochastic terrorism is being used to oppose critical race theory and intersectionalism. What do you think of this objection? I oppose it on the basis of its call to violence. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't heard of I haven't heard of any pushback against social justice being rooted in the idea that words cause harm the way which is a social justice belief and if i if somebody were pushing that saying i'm against social justice because words cause harm i would say that's a very weak argument and there are much stronger arguments to make i'm um, against social justice because it because it is a racist and sexist belief system that teaches us to view people as group members instead of as individuals, and it teaches us to judge and treat people differently on the basis of race and sex. That's a really good argument against social justice ideology. I don't, I don't need to point out that their words cause harm. It, uh, it took me. A little, I, I needed to reread this a couple times to understand. I think I understand the. It took me a minute to think. I think I understand the question. Maybe Carrie understood it quickly, but yeah. um, they've. The problem here is with the word harm, and actually the phrase causing harm is the problem. Uh, words do cause harm in the sense that words have meaning, and meaning ins and, and ideas matter, and meaning inspires people to behavior, and behavior can be physically harmful. Um, so the problem is harm is a, is a term that's intentionally ambiguously defined. So like I will say all day ideas matter. And they matter because at the end of the day, their implementation can kill hundreds of millions of people, as we saw with communism in the last century. So ideas matter. Words do cause harm in that sense. 
Um, when the social justice people say words cause harm, they mean it in a very direct sense. So, so, so this is this is an equivocation. It's it's the meaning is being used two different ways at two different times in order to make it sound like it's the same thing. When they say words cause harm, they mean words cause direct physical damage in the same way that punching someone in the face causes direct physical damage. And um, I would say yes, words do cause harm, but not that kind of harm. And so long as you're not causing direct physical harm, the way to counteract that bad idea that can eventually cause harm is with another idea that can eventually prevent harm. So you don't, you don't punch a social justice warrior in the face because their words killed 100 million people last century. You don't, you don't, you don't get to use violence against them because they're spouting an idea that it, when it is manifest is deadly. Uh, you use words against them. Likewise, uh, because they don't like your words, they cannot claim, even if they truly believe that your words are fascist and will lead to Hitler, they cannot punch you in the face for spouting words that they believe, quote, cause harm. So the, the difference in that, you're looking at like one direction it's causing harm, the other direction it's causing harm, and they're trying to say, hey, you can't have it both ways. And no one's have, trying to have it both ways unless they're lying about the meaning of the word, the, the phrase cause harm, and they're using it in one sense in one direction and another sense in the other direction. Um, be careful of that. There's a lot of equivocation that happens constantly when talking to the left. There's equivocation is very, very common. Okay. Tomsky. Thank you, Tomsky, says, to call back to my previous super chat, I'm already getting prepared and taking ownership. The first question, again, this is for anybody just checking in, he's going to be uh, doing at work going to a seminar on anti-racism. My first question will be, what do you mean by anti-racism? Game on. Yes, make them talk themselves into a corner. Make them define these terms. Make them define what they mean by anti-racism, because I'm telling you some part of that definition is going to imply, even if they don't explicitly say it, they're going to say, we need to judge and treat people differently on the basis of race. They won't say that explicitly, but listen listen for that in their answer. Yep. Uh, Connor Mack says, thank you, Connor. He says, hi, Carrie, I would like to see you talk with Hotep Jesus. Thanks for the great work. That's a great suggestion. I follow yeah, Hotep Jesus. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's a good one. I will add, we will add him to our list of people we try to get. Um, and then Steve Landau. Stephen Landau, thank you. Hi says there's Thank been a shift you. in teaching. Perhaps teachers in schools should go back to the three R's and let the teaching of morality go back to the home. Yeah, that's a thought. Uh, yeah, but the problem with that is, as I said before, you can't even teach the three R's without a framework. So, um, like, <laughs> there's a book called Social Justice Math. Need, need I say more? <laughs> right? Like, everything can be put in the context of bad ideology and will be, even if you limit it to the three R's. Um, so I, I don't, I know what you mean though. When you say get back to teaching the three R's, they were taught though, those, they, there was a framework around the teaching of those three R's and it was a, an objective view of the world and it was much more based on reason and objectivity than it is today. Okay. Josie Grace, I'll do one more. Josie Grace says, I just want to say thank you guys for helping me wake the F up. Your videos provided a much-needed explanation of the psyche behind the lunacy. Thank you so much, Josie. And th those are my; these are some of my favorite kinds of messages where people. I, I hope that the show is helpful, and I hope it inspires people 
to speak against this and to, to get over their fear step by step. So. Uh, James S. Thank you, James. James says, uh, gives us 10 bucks and says, there's currently one U.S. House representative per 750,000 people, which is not even close to being representative. What do you think about dropping that ratio to one per 30K, increasing the number of reps to 11,000? Kerry might have a different opinion about this, but I don't like democracy, so I don't give a crap how many reps there are. Um, and, and the reason I don't like democracy is that democracy sucks. Uh, <laughs> democracy is immoral. Um, there's nothing moral about having more people vote for something uh, like straight them. Look, if, if we voted on everything, we'd have pizza for every meal and, you know, would all be married to whoever the, you know, hot person of the day is. But like, it, th that's not what what I want is a representative government with limits. Well, actually, as an anarchist, I'm not really looking for a government anyway. But if we're going to have a limited government, the, the way to limit the government, representation doesn't solve the problem because people get people get swayed. I mean, look look at look at the people getting woke. Look at the people that have just been swayed by Amazon plastering around Black Lives Matter. Like, <laughs> look at how the masses are swayed. You want them having more representation? The, the thing about the United States was, and, and the founding fathers knew this, and they were terrified of democracy. They wanted to limit the power of the people. They wanted to make it so that you could not vote against other people's rights. You couldn't do that. You didn't have the power. So if you want to have 11,000 representatives, I would say, look, let's go back. If, if you want to have a small government, if you're worried about representation, go back to what the Constitution actually is, which is an agreement between 50 states, not not a federally giant, not one big government, have 50 states, get your representation at the state level and keep the federal government out of things. And states can compete for, you know, California will be the Marxist utopia and maybe Texas will be something else. And people can can be where they want to be and try out systems that they that they want to try out. Um, so I, I would rather have that representation come because I think you are actually quite represented at the local level. We We've got like... I don't know. Our, our, where I am right now, the, the one person, we have one city council member who's probably, I don't know how many of us there are, but it's like less than a few square miles. Like this area, not, not much is one city council rep. There's not many people here. Um, so I don't think, I, I don't want a bloated federal government with 11,000 representatives. <laughs> In fact, the federal government can just be like a couple of representatives from each state and uh, we can just be done and they can stay the hell out of the state's business and let the states do what they were supposed to be doing this whole time. Okay. Uh, uh, why bother? Says SJWs are trying to poison the legacy of one of the most prominent humanists of literature, Isaac Asimov, by starting making by making Foundation series. Uh, I'm not actually familiar with him, but Foundation series is a sci a sci-fi uh, a series of sci-fi books. And uh, I'm not surprised. They've uh, look SJWs have ruined my one of my favorite authors, Margaret Atwood, The Handmaid's Tale. They've ruined The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Everything they touch turns to crap. When I was a kid, one of my favorite series was Anne of Green Gables. I don't know if you guys have seen Anne with an E. Mm. It's awful. Is it about Anne some, of Green? It's some, a remake of Anne of Green Gables. It's a remake what? of Anne of Green Gables. It's a woke remake, and there are, there are elements of it that I really like. It's, you know, it's, it's aimed at youth and they've completely wokeified it. Right. Everything right. they touch turns to crap. You, you may have heard of Asimov Carey from, he wrote iRobot as well. 
So that's probably oh, okay. Um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to do the next one? No, you do it. All right. Uh, Chicken Sith. <laughs> awesome name. Hey, Chicken Sith. I discovered you via the Rittenhouse analysis you did and wanted to say I appreciate your balance. Thank you, Chicken Sith. Welcome to the show. Sometimes we're wrong, but very rarely. <laughs> Sometimes <Okay>. we argue. <laughs> Yeah, in, in which case, so we're either, when we argue, one of us, at least one of us is wrong. And sometimes we're both wrong. <sighs> All right, I think we I think made it through it. Super Chats. I did want to mention, this was not a Super Chat, but I saw some someone say this as the chats were scrolling by, mm -hmm. that they really appreciated the interview we did with Monique Dusson. Dusson? Mm. Dusson. Um, that interview came out yesterday, uh, and we did a premiere of it, but it's something we pre-recorded. Monique Dusan, uh, if you guys are not familiar with her, she was a social justice warrior for two decades, like myself. But she was squarely in the – she was a Christian social justice warrior. And I, I was more agnostic atheist in that that area. So it was fascinating to talk to her and to hear the differences and to hear how she came out of it. She pushed critical race theory for two decades from within the church. And now she's against it. So if you guys haven't seen it, especially um, even if you're not Christian, I think you might appreciate the interview to see how this ideology is trying to marry itself to Christianity now. Um, but definitely, definitely take a look at that interview. Monique Dusen from the Center for Biblical Unity. Can I uh, can I throw in some intermittent frivolity? <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I want to. You may have seen this, but I had only seen I had seen Joe. Des despicato trending and i was like what the hell and i didn't see what it was so it despacito. wasn't until this morning this what is it despacito despacito sorry i didn't i didn't uh i didn't know what it was despacito um and i uh i looked at it this morning for the first time and i just want to share this with people because i also did something else that i don't know if everyone has done um so here is joe <laughs> this is Joe Biden. This is a real thing. This really happened. This is him uh, in Kissimmee, Florida. Let's just watch what he, how he starts his thing. I just have one thing to say. Hang on here. <laughs> All right. There you go. Dance a little bit, Joe. Come on. I tell, <laughs> tell you what, if I had the talent of any one of these people, I'd be. Okay, so I was like, all right, so <laughs> fine, fine, fine. He's he's a silly old man. Okay, he he plays this song, but being me, I was like, well, I don't know Spanish. By the way, just before I even say this, Joe seems to have a stereotypical view of races. Like, hey, here's some, here's a Spanish song. I'll, I'll relate to the Hispanics. I'll play the Spanish song, right? Okay, Joe. Um, it's the same way he views black people, right? He's going to yeah. use contractions when he never does. He didn't say you're not black if you don't vote for Biden, which is also racist, but you, you ain't black. Like, he, he's totally, he totally has this weird stereotypical view of races, <laughs> <laughs> which I just find hilarious. But... Hey Carrie, just, do you know what the, do you know what the lyrics to this song are? I actually don't. Well, I don't speak Spanish, 
but Google Translate does. Let's take a look. I want to breathe in your neck slowly. Let me murmur things in your ear. <laughs> this is repeated oh. a few times in oh. the song. This is about, it's about a guy who is after a girl. It, it does get more explicit than that, but my favorite parts are the Biden parts. <laughs> I want to breathe in your neck slowly and let me murmur things in your ear. Uh, I want to see your hair dance. I want to show, I want you to show my mouth. I don't know what this is. Like there is, there's some stuff going on in this song. And uh, I just think that uh, my guess is that someone told Biden <laughs> to play this song and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry. The Latino community will really like this song, Joe. Play this song. This will make you cool. And someone is back at home chuckling to themselves like <laughs> I made I made the hair sniffer play the hair sniffing song. I love it. Uh, yes. Oh, I just looked up. I just looked it up myself. And this is what like. uh Yes, you know I've been looking at you for a while. I have to dance with you today. I saw that your look was calling me. Show me the way that I'm going. Oh, you are the magnet and I'm the metal. I'm getting closer and I'm setting up the plan. Just the thought of it accelerates the pulse. Now I'm enjoying it more than usual. All my senses are asking for more. This must be taken without any trouble. I want to breathe your neck slowly. Let me tell you things right. in your ears. <laughs> right, right. I mean, the whole song's very sexual, which I already think is weirdly inappropriate for him to, to, to play. But the fact that it's about breathing on your neck is just too beautiful for me. I feel like someone must have been like, this guy is old and senile. He's never going to know. I'm gonna, Probably someone who speaks Spanish and knew the song was like, I'm going to make him play this song. And the mainstream press isn't going to record it. By the way, if Donald Trump had done this, they'd have been all over this. But uh, here right, we go. They Reported it in Donald Trump. They yeah. would have been like, "Look at the lyrics of this song, this <laughs> right. so, the song that Trump." Um, I remember they gave Trump crap, and I gave him crap back when I was in SJW. Uh, what he there were there was a was it Cinco de Mayo? He did a tweet where he was eating like a taco bowl. <laughs> and, <laughs> what from Taco Bell or yes, something? Yeah, and he was like, you know, I love Cinco de Mayo, and I love Mexicans, and here's a taco bowl. Okay, yes, pandering, just like this, pandering. It's just pandering in all forms, I think it's just so silly. The the funniest example was during the debates when you had all of these dummies on stage, dummies as in puppets, these Democratic candidates speaking Spanish one after the other, just virtue signaling. Um, but yeah, people people have rightly called back to, after this happened, which is a very cringe moment, They've rightly called back to when Hillary Clinton said, do you remember this? I, I think you probably don't because we've talked about Beyonce before and, and you you weren't familiar with some of the lyrics. But when Hillary Clinton was interviewed about what, what does she carry with her in her bag everywhere and she said hot sauce. And then there was like interview after interview and article after article about how she carries hot sauce in her bag. And that's a very – that's a, a reference to a, a Beyonce lyric about carrying hot sauce in your bag. Yeah. And there's a stereotype about – Black, I guess it's about black people in general. I thought it was just about Southerners caring because uh, in the South, try hanging out with love, Chinese we love people. our hot sauce. They've got hot sauce in their bags. Yeah, trust love, me. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, but anyway, I just thought that was really, that was really funny that they were bringing back the hot sauce moment with Hillary Clinton. Hey, since we're doing a bit of frivolity and we're talking about uh, culture now. Yeah. I'm sending you this, this, image so did you see how the media went gaga 
over Kamala Harris wearing Timberland boots? No. No. So the media just loved it. She's wearing Tim's. Our next future vice president is wearing Tim's. Is that a, is Tim's saw, a thing? Is there a nickname for boots that's Tim's? People call Timberland boots Tim's yeah. now? Tim's. Why does everything have a nickname? Am I old? What the hell? <laughs> Jesus Christ. There, she's wearing Tim's. Just go fuck yourself yeah. if you call them Tim's. Just go fuck off. My God. Well, I rightly, I rightly saw some actual progressives like Jimmy Dore were calling this out, and and they're basically, yeah, pandering. I don't care what kind of boots she's wearing. I want health care. You know, progressives, the real progressives, not the woke robots, not the NPCs, but the real progressives right. are not are not impressed by this either. So there was a big like Gaga fest in the media over Kamala Harris wearing her Timberland boots, and a friend of mine, Robert. Thank you. Pulled up. He said, I th- I seem to recall them making fun of and giving Melania Trump crap for wearing Timberlands. And he did a quick search. And yes, he found a headline from the same publication. So I just sent this to you. Yep, it's showing. Go ahead and read okay. it. Look at this. So here's the Yahoo headline for about Melania. Melania Trump mocked for wearing Timberland boots. Quote, this is not a modeling show, end quote. Okay, so there's a bunch of uh, abuse there directed at Melania and trying to say she's vain and, and, and she's why wearing is, Timberlands. Why, this sorry, is not a modeling you, show. Can you tell me why that's even a – why are Timberland boots a modeling show thing? I don't understand. It doesn't it, – it's just a fashionable brand name boot. It's not – it's just a normal then, boot brand. I'm, okay, all right. <laughs> okay, and then, and then look at the Yahoo – when it comes to Kamala Harris, the Kamala Harris may have made Timberland boots cool again as she stands there in her Tim's with her mask on. I, double I, standard much. Yeah. It's a huge, obviously, it's a huge double standard. I, I just, I'm still fascinated by the fact that, like, Timberland boots, which were just like, didn't you used to buy them in the LL Bean catalog in the 80s? Like, they're just a freaking brand <laughs> boots. What, like, what the hell happened? Why are they Tim's? Why do we care? I don't. God, people focus on something important. Your children are literally being indoctrinated and you've got a nickname for a boot brand and you care about who yeah. wears it. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, Carter. Jeez, that, honestly, that disturbs me more than the hypocrisy. I expect the hypocrisy, but the Tim's thing just really bothers me. Like, like do they have a nickname for like Levi's? He's wearing Vi's. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, what the hell's wrong with you people? God, the Western civilization's falling apart because of you, Tims. Go fuck yourselves. God. <laughs> I'm sorry for swearing, Curm- Marie. <laughs> Curmudgeon Carter is one of my favorite Carters. <laughs> Tims. I'm getting really hot in this hat. I gotta... I'm gonna try and keep you it guys- on for the whole show, but I'm getting very... It's getting hot in here. I'm gonna roll up my sleeves. Um... By the way, I don't have this uh, video queued because I didn't know we were going to do frivolity. But since we're doing frivolity, and I think you're basically always pro-frivolity, I feel like I can throw this in, right? Yeah, um, yeah that's what I figured. Uh, there was – I was watched – so I'm uh, – I, I follow someone, some carnivore channel because I'm like 90% carnivore right now depending on my mood. Um, but mostly I try to be carnivore. And uh, <laughs> there was a video. It looked like it was from some show from the 90s or something, but – 
and this probably will only be funny to me, but I'm going to relate the story anyway. It's a video of this middle-aged white woman coming up to a counter at some restaurant, and there's an Asian man, I can't tell uh, what nationality, but an Asian man working in there, and uh, she says, do you have any vegan, anything vegan? And he, <laughs> this is what I love, by the way, about cultures who aren't like stuck in the American like leftist <laughs> bizo mindset. Uh, he looks at her and he's like, what is vegan? And she like explains like, oh, it's, you know, like no animal products, blah, blah, blah. Vegan? Uh, and he looks at her and he goes, no, go eat lettuce somewhere else. Get out of here. Go to another restaurant. Go, go eat lettuce somewhere else. <laughs> he just kicks her out of the restaurant. Uh, no offense to the vegans in the uh, audience, but um, I don't know. I just, we're in this, we're in this world in which everyone expects their little peccadillos to be hyper catered to. And I love when there's some outsider who's just like from another culture that just looks at us like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> like, and then he went on a little yeah. rant about, how, you know, you don't know how to enjoy, enjoy life. Crispy pork is the best thing ever. So he's right. That's crispy good. pork is one of the best things ever, in my opinion. All right, let's do some super chats. While this one is that, for you, Carrie. I'm going to take, oh, go ahead. You want to do, can you see B. Allen's? I can't see it. You do it. As a retired letter carrier, I appreciate the consistency of Carrie's mailman. <laughs> Tiger reaction is rather mild. So Tiger's a good, a good boy, Carrie. Tiger's been on the road with me for a month. My trip ended up being, it kept getting longer. It was a month long and it was a wonderful trip, actually. I, I, I very much enjoyed it, but he hasn't been home for a month. So he hasn't been able to bark. Today was the first day he got to bark at the mailman again. <laughs> uh, Gentleman <laughs> Warfighter, awesome name. Uh, might there be a Tower of Babylon event that drives us apart physically if the sides use such different definitions that we speak different languages? Uh, yeah, the problem is, look, I've, I'm starting to come to a place where I'm planning for separation, but but maybe should be trying to work to not have separation because it is pretty unlikely that we can ever, ever do that. But I get it. All right. Tomsky 999. Uh, just done the $25 monthly sub. Thank you, Tomsky. I want that grenade mug hopefully before my woke anti-racist session. Um, by the way, if you are a, there's a couple people who are, their stuff hasn't arrived yet, but if you are a subscriber who needs one or who, you know, you're at a subscriber level where you should have one, I can only ship it to you if you send me your address on Subscribestar. I always ask. So if you just probably just haven't responded to a message, if you're missing a mug, it's because I am not omniscient. So, um, all right. Are we, are we done with Super Chats, Carrie, or is there... More I'm supposed to be finding. I think we may be. Uh, uh, why bother? Thank you, Why Bother. Why Bother says, what do you think about Princeton virtue signaling backfire? I was crying of laughter when I read about it. I don't know that story. Do you? I don't either. Is this about their admission standards? I don't know. I'm not um, sure. I kind of want to look it up, which I guess we're not supposed to do in real time, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Princeton virtue signaling. Uh, I found it. Admits to past racism. Oh, you found it? What do you got? Yeah. Uh, da, da, da. 
two cute. I, I found an article. I don't know where this is. This is a blog. Okay. It says too cute by half describes the virtue signaling woke president of Princeton University, Christopher Eigsgruber, who rushed before the media to claim that his university was afflicted by systemic racism, but under his thoughtful guidance is working on a solution. So he sent out an email where he claimed that he, he says, uh, dear members of the Princeton community, in June, I wrote you as America entered a profound national reckoning with racism. That reckoning is at once painful because the harms done by systemic racism have been exposed so starkly and promising because we are seeing widespread and urgent desire, uh, blah, 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 blah. We must ask how Princeton can address systemic racism in the world and must also ask how to address it within our own community. And then this, then he says that Princeton University, for most of its history, intentionally and systemically excluded people of color, women, Jews, and other minorities. Uh, racism and the damage it does to people of color, nevertheless, persist at Princeton, I guess he's saying today, okay. as in our society, sometimes by conscious intention, but more often through unexamined assumptions and stereotypes, ignorance or insensitivity, and the systemic legacy of past decisions and policies. Um, so this, this blog is basically saying, how does such an elite individual openly confess to a violation of title six of the civil rights act? I don't know if I've found the egg on the face yet reading this. So if anybody can summarize it, it just sounds like more Princeton, like more woke virtue signaling to me from a university president. I don't know what the funny part is yet, but I guess I'm, we shouldn't do this in real time. Yep. Oh, There's oh, it's being investigated by the Department of Education now because oh. of his virtue signaling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're racist? Uh, that's illegal. We'll go check it out. Um. Oh, you admitted to being racist? Okay, yeah. Oh my gosh, long story short, the president of Princeton University attempted to virtue signal by claiming the university is currently rooted in systemic racism, and now the Department of Education is running a full court press of an investigation for the numerous fraudulent statements the university has made pledging they do not discriminate on the basis of race. <laughs> Princeton could lose all federal support and be required to pay back all federal funding from as far back as 2013. Congratulations, you've played yourself. <laughs> There we go. Sometimes the best way to go after these people is just to take them at face value, right? You said Robin D'Angelo at the beginning of White Fragility uh, admits to being racist. Like, you can just stop there. Okay. Yeah. Take them at face value. I love that. <laughs> um, okay. Next, from Sandy Kins 57 for Carter. Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had a, a curmudgeon moment there, Sandy Kins. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I think that might have gotten us caught up on Super Chats. That's oh, nope. really funny. Marie Busky. Oh, she's she's helping me. I'm sorry, Marie. I know I swore a bunch. Uh, swear jar. Hot hat head syndrome. Yeah, it's the hat. I'm going to blame Tax Terra. My hat, is, my hat is making my head hot, and therefore I need to swear about social justice warriors. Uh, it's about... <laughs> I, I can blame other people. I can get into this. It's all good. It's systemic oppression on my head. All right, Carrie. Anything else we need to we need to discuss? I mean, we we saw Joe Biden pander. I mean, I don't know how how much better life can get. Yeah, 
I think we're good. I'm still laughing. I want to go out laughing about Princeton. And thank you for the super chat that alerted me to that. That's friggin' hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Have a good day, guys. <laughs> have a good weekend, everyone. Um, have, we will see oh, you on, have a good weekend. on Monday. Yeah. And we do have yeah. some interesting stuff coming up. What? Go ahead. Yeah. So yesterday we had did an interview with, as we mentioned, Monique Dusen, sorry, Dusen from the Center for Biblical Unity. If you want to talk to a former SJW who was in it for two decades like I was, but was in the Christian part of it, that's a really interesting interview. Go check that out. And then upcoming, as Carter kind of, we kind of gave away, we have an interview with Charles Murray coming out and we have an interview with Professor Brett Weinstein coming out, which I'm so excited about and grateful that we got the chance to speak with him yesterday. Um, and then we have a, we have one with my pastor, which is going to blow your mind. Bradley Helgerson. That was a really fun one. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed speaking to a pastor. He's so smart. Right. And, and anyway, that was fun. So we have a lot and we still have content coming out from the myth informed, um, better discourses conference and, No, you guys stay tuned. Thank you for the super chats. Thanks for supporting us. If you're on Subscribestar, if you hit that 20, you can support at any level or even give a tip. But if you do $25 uh, or above per month, then you get a mug. So yep. I hope you join us for book club, especially since we got to talk to Charles Murray. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We've been, we have some really, really kick-ass interviews lately. So uh, they are coming out. And the answer to Beverly's question in chat is no. I will not talk about him. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> bye, everyone. Have a great weekend. Um, bye. Yeah. Go, go get your mug, and we'll see you on Monday. Bye, guys. Bye, Carter. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 97.6% chance that they are participants in an oppressive hegemony. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Your constitution will remain intact. We only want your dictionary.
Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.